Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Well, hey, good morning. Good morning, morning. So my name is Michael. I'm the youth pastor at the Ark. We haven't met. Hope to meet you soon enough. Um, for today, I want to just start off before we kind of jump into our passage. Uh, we have a wonderful passage. It's a long passage. It's very good about the Shunammite woman. Before we jump into that, I have to say thank you. Um, lately, we've, I know we've made a call out to the church to raise some more money and donations to junior high summer camp. Um, I want to say we've really, there's still opportunities to do that, but we have, I mean, it's gone above and beyond. Um, it's really made a way. And yeah, you can clap for that. That's... Why, why we do those things is because we don't want, it's rough to see a 12-year-old carry a financial burden at that age um, or feel like they can't go to something at church uh, specifically and only because it's money. So one of the blessings that as a church we've been able to do is not only knock the price to be a lot cheaper than it originally is, but also we've been able to look at students who give scholarships and say, hey, I know I can't afford it. You know what? We have you. And that in itself is a blessing. And, and for me to you, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we really appreciate doing that. Uh, this month for me is kind of a big month. Uh, May 17th, eight years ago, was the first time I entered full-time ministry. Um, and so I've, I've been a pastor for about eight years. I've been a pastor's kid, not by choice, uh, since, <laughs> since I was three years old. Um, but the last eight years have been great. I, I, I went a little opposite. I went to adult ministry first. And there's an unspoken rule about men in ministry, which is you typically go to youth and then you go be a senior pastor or executive pastor and eventually you're a senior pastor. Like, if you notice, just watch. Guy goes to be a youth pastor, then he does something with adults later on, yada, yada, becomes a senior pastor. So when I started off with adults, I felt like I was skipping my bachelor's and getting my master's. I was like, I am... I am ahead, and I did young adults, adult ministry at this wonderful church in Angleton, Life Force Square. I loved them dearly, and I loved doing it. And so when there was a call for me to come and do youth ministry, I was like, I, 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 am I supposed to do youth ministry? I mean, I've been in the adult world, having adult conversations. Um, and I'm like, and doing adult ministry, I'm doing serious counseling and stuff. And, you know, and then the Lord really checked my heart on it, and it's like, well, he really showed me that was what I'm, supposed to do. And it's amazing when you remain obedient to what the Lord has for you. Not only does it change your life. I love being a youth pastor. I really enjoy this. I, I could do this for, well, I don't know how long, but I could do this for a long time and not feel gassed. I love it. The passion of it. And yes, you know what's crazy is the counseling actually hasn't really changed. Uh, we're like, you'll go to junior higher and you're like, <laughs> you'll be like, you know, his foot's on my side. I'm like, well, be quiet. You know, it's during service. And then you'll be in young adults ministry and they come in and it's tough. And they're with, uh, their girlfriend and boyfriend and you get, Hey guys, I saw you're so upset. And, and they look at you and, and you're like, what's going on? They're like, well, his foot's on my side. And uh, you're just like, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, the conversation's actually aren't really that different. There's a lot of similarities. So I love being a youth pastor. Here's what's interesting. I wouldn't have stepped into that unless I made a space to listen to the Lord and to be obedient to what he had for me. But the first part is so important. I made a space to listen to the Lord that I, on a daily basis, to my best, tried to convene with the Lord, to commune with him, talk with him, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Holy Spirit, guide me. There is a passage we're going over today out of 2 Kings 4. It's about the Shunammite woman. They don't give us a name in Scripture. It's really interesting. I don't know why with this woman they don't because they talk about her a lot. In 2 Kings 4, they talk about a Shunammite woman. Now, to give some context, the nation of Israel has been split into two different kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Uh, Israel, majority of the time, had wicked kings consistently. Judah occasionally had some good ones, but for the most part, it was, it was all wicked in Israel. Well, at that time, there was a very powerful prophet named Elisha. Elijah was his predecessor, and the person that came after him in the same power is Elisha. Elisha was very much for the Lord. I mean, miraculous stuff. He was not to be trifled with. This was not a man to be messed with. This was a man that operated in true, miraculous, godly power. And the thing is, is Israel was away from God. They did not like God. The king actually did not like Elisha. Elisha didn't like the king at the time because the king was wicked. He didn't care for the things of God. And so Elisha was a man of God in a nation that did not care for the Lord. And so in 2 Kings 4, we pick up with a Shunammite woman in the town of Shunam. And she does something very interesting. 2 Kings 4, verse 8 through 10. 2 Kings 4, verse 8 through 10 says this. One day Elisha went to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived. who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that there is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So notable means she was rich. So she was a rich woman, wealthy woman, goes to her husband. She's been inviting this man in for dinner, knows he's a man of God, builds him a room. Now I'm about to paraphrase through a lot of scripture, but walk with me here. It's, gonna, it's a really powerful story. So we, she builds him a room. He, every time he's in town, he visits her, he stays in that room. Made a place for the man of God. Knew that this man is of the Lord. Made a place for him. Physically made a place. So then he goes to his servant Gehazi. Elisha goes to Gehazi's servant. Says, what can we do for this woman? And Gehazi kind of goes on tour. What can we do? Do you need an appeal to the king? You know, what, what, how can we help you? Kind of just, how can we bless you? Well, she said, I dwell among my own people. She literally did not do this for anything. Let me rephrase it. She did not bless this man so that she could get something in return. She did it because it was out of the goodness of her own heart. She was honoring the Lord and honoring this man. And she didn't want anything in return. She didn't say anything. So what's interesting is Elisha still pressed, went to Gehazi. He's like, what can we do with her then? What should we do? Gehazi says she has, she's married to an older man and has no son. So then they go into uh, this woman and say, this time, this year, you will be holding a child in your arms. She's like, don't, don't tease me. Don't do that. Don't tease me. Don't, don't. And he's like, no. And it came to pass. So it came to pass that she had a child. Well, the child's growing up and gets older, is playing in the field someday. And um, some theologians believe this could have been a sunstroke. But had a sunstroke, was out in the field, had inflammation in the brain, and drops dead. And so she carries this child, her servant scrambling, she carries this child, puts him in the room that she has Elisha in, his bed, puts him in that room, goes to her husband, says, I'm going to find the man of God, I'm going to get the horse, goes and gets a horse, goes and finds this man, and her responses to people is beautiful. It says, all is well. And King James, the new King James, you might have heard it as, it is well. 
This is the it is well hymn was inspired from this passage. And she says it is well, which means peace. And in 2 Kings 4 verse 26, in verse 26 it says, this is run at once. This is Elisha talking to Gehazi. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. Or in other translations, it is well. She responds, it is well. And so then she goes to Elisha at his feet and says, did you not promise me a child? And so then he looks at his servant Gehazi and says, take my staff, go to the room where the child is, lay the staff on his face, I'm going to be there. Elisha gets there, starts praying, closes the door, everybody's out of the room, closes the door, prays. Then, I don't know why, this is just how it happened, he then spreads his body out on top of the child and the child turns warm. Then he walks and paces again. And then he spreads himself out on the child again. And the child sneezes seven times and is alive. Welcome to Old Testament miracles. Uh, (laughs) It is. Um, So she's alive. So she takes her child. Beautiful moment, right? Beautiful. And then you go to 2 Kings 8. It actually picks up. I didn't expect it when you're reading it, but just randomly... Chapters later, in 2 Kings 8, or as Dr. Rutland would say, 2 Kings 8, in 2 Kings 8, uh, verses 1 through 2, it actually picks up with her again. And in verse 1 through 2, it says, Now Elisha has said to the woman whose son had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household, sojourn whenever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household to join the land of the Philistines for seven years. So you have all these things. You have the healing of Naaman. You have this miraculous thing happening with lepers. And then randomly in 2 Kings 8, it just picks up again. And there she is. Still don't know her name. And Elisha warned her of a famine. This famine was so bad that in one of the chapters beforehand, they were getting sieged by an enemy. They were eating each other. There was cannibalism. The famine was horrendous. And I know some of you are a little bothered by the fact that the Lord set the famine. Here's the thing about punishments in the Old Testament. There was always a way and escape before. Always. Which is why it's so important we read and order a lot of times in the Bible. Because you won't see the Lord saying, hey, turn and repent to me. I love you. I care for you. And you'll see actively that people rebel and do it anyways. There was always a way. So he's sending this famine on them and he literally spares this woman's whole family. Well, then she comes back. She comes back and tries to make an appeal to the king to get her house and her property back, which is, I would imagine, I don't know, a bold move. Um, So she comes back, goes to the king. At the same time, after seven years, Gehazi is talking with the king. At that same moment, the king is asking Gehazi, tell me all the, wing, the things of God that Elisha has been able to do. And so at that moment, he's explaining how a child had been raised from the dead. And she was there making an appeal in the same area. And the king looks at the woman and is like, is that her? And they check Gehazi. says, yeah, that's her. That's the one where the child was raised from the dead. In chapter 8, verse 6, it says this. And when the king asked the woman... She told him, so the king appointed an official for her saying, restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. 
And so not only was her family spared death like many that walked through, but she came back, got her house back and her property and seven years of profit from the day she left to the day she got back. Seven years. All restored and then some. And you see, it's, here's the question I have with it. Why her? So you want to read this story of someone we don't even know their name. Like, well, why did God bless that person? Why? And I believe there are heart postures that make sense of her relationship with the Lord, her relationship with that prophet and knowing, respecting him of his place, and why God pointedly in the midst of a ton of rebellion and just horrendous things happening to the people of Israel because they refused to follow the Lord, refused, actively refused. And you see a woman that did the opposite. And it's because of something interesting. In 2 Kings 4, verses 1, that first part, it says that when she invited Elisha in for dinner, and it made me think that before she physically built a room for Elisha, she had made a place in her heart. That the things of God were already in her heart. She desired to honor the person of God and what he represented because she honored the Lord in her heart before she made a physical place to honor him. And so before he got rest, before any blessings, he actually even asked her to bless her and she didn't say anything. She just said, I dwell among my people. In other words, I'm not asking for any gifts in return, which shows a huge thing. It means that she had the intentions to love the Lord in her heart before she made a physical space to love the Lord. Where's our modern equivalent? A lot of times we wait to get here. We wait to get here to honor God and to love him and to care for him. But in reality, the place we have to honor him before we get here is our heart. That's what actually makes church powerful. There are people that sit in services, they feel nothing. They feel nothing. They see nothing. They can't stand it. And it's not actually because there's a bunch of bad churches. It's because the desires of their heart are not for the Lord. And we can't make people do it, but isn't it beautiful when they choose to make a room for the Lord in their own heart first? Because when God's room is in here, when you get in the room, it's different. Then the physical room feels different. Then the physical church, actually, you can receive things and enjoy worship and love the Lord. And now church and, and communities and prayer rooms and different spaces in your life have higher value because the first room was taken care of in here. And the Shunammite woman had the intentions of loving the Lord in her heart first before she made a physical room. Because so many, we try to work backwards many times. If I just get to the physical place, then eventually get in my heart. Not always. I'm a living testimony to that. In college, maybe some of you know this because you might have had some people have children that either this is currently happening, you were that person, or you know someone that is. You get to college and it's just like, uh, it feels like things just kind of collapse sometimes. You become a new person, you're exploring adulthood, you're trying to figure things out. In my case, there was a lot of anger, bitterness, and, and healing from just a lot of pain that hadn't happened. So I had gone through a season, and it was actually 10 years ago this year. I 
had gone through a horrible breakup. I just had really thought the Lord was in it. I thought it was going to progress potentially towards marriage. I was just very rose-colored lenses. I was just head over heels. I went too deep. And I got angry. I got so angry. And so what I did is, I know I'm having a tough time, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be in worship service. I'm going to go to car. I get in my car. I would get in my car in Tulsa at this Christian university where we have chapels all the time. And I would get in my car, and I would drive down 71st till I hit a dirt road. And I would scream, and I would cry, and I'd pray, and I'd listen to worship music, and I wouldn't feel a thing. Nothing. No presence of God in any way. I'd be in chapel services with, I mean, there were evangelists that came through that saw 80-something million people come to Jesus. We're talking power of God was moving, and I'm sitting there, and I feel nothing. Nothing. In the same room, people were getting healed. And I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to put myself in the best physical place, but my heart's off. In nine months, nine dry, dry months later, near the end of this school year, I had a mentor of mine look at me in prayer. I never told him anything. Look at me in prayer and repeat the same thing that my mother had told me and I didn't listen to it. Said, you're offended at the Lord. Yeah, it's a wonderful prayer uh, moment. You're like, no, thanks. <laughs> Bless God. Uh, and, He's like, you're offended at the Lord. You're angry at him. I go back in the back of this chapel. And I just kind of put my hands like this. I'm at that, you know, I'm on this campus. And it's just been a long year. And I just, for the first time, said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm angry at you. I'm offended. You didn't put me in that relationship. I did. I missed it. I, I promise you now, as I live and breathe, I could feel the presence of God because I finally just let it go. And then the chapel and the worship and the services changed. I felt like the floodgates were open. And the room mattered because of what happened in my heart first. Another thing about this woman, you see that she makes a room in her heart first but she goes through hard times. Isn't that interesting? That we do preach a gospel that's good because it is. And we preach a gospel and a God that loves because he does. But we have no promise that there won't be hard times. In fact, Jesus said trials and tribulations will come. And what's interesting though, even though she went through hard times, God made a way. That when we make room on our own heart and we honor him and we love him, he makes a way in hard times. She had a child that was born and then he died and held his dead body, raised again to the life. Then she's warned of a famine for seven years, lives with the Philistines, which I don't know if you know about Jewish and Philistines relations, but it's still not great. Uh, so she lives with Philistines and then she goes after seven years and she comes back and gets everything back that she, that she previously owned plus, plus the profits she didn't even make. And she walks through hard times. But yet God made a way. And that was, that's what's beautiful. It's like we don't even know her name and God blessed her. 
We don't even know much about her, but you know that she was taken care of. And sometimes we just get in this place where the offense and the pessimism of life can attack you. And you wonder, where is God? Where is he in the midst of time, troubled times and hard times? And here's the, here's the truth, truly, is that just because we go through hard times doesn't mean God is gone. It doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not moving. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean we can't receive things. We go through hard times, but like the Shunammite woman, the difference is I have a solution now. Many times people go through hard times and they don't make it. The seven years of famine, people didn't make it. They died. Some people in their relationship comes to the Lord, they go, they roll the dice and say whatever. Maybe God, maybe not. I don't know. And that mentality, there are people, you and I both know, they haven't made it. They did not make it to the other side of this life like they thought they were. Yeah, tomorrow's guaranteed. It's not. It's not. Yeah, I'll make it home. I'm like, I'm not trying to scare you, but we know this to be true. It's not worth the gamble. What's great is that the difference is I can go through hard times against the Lord and not receive what he has for me. And life will be hard times, which sounds like in the 80s, there was a wrestler named Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes, some of you know, Dusty Rhodes' whole thing with his list would be like, it's hard times, baby doll. It's hard times. That's just all his promo. And so you talk to people that don't know God or people that don't know God's presence or they're angry at the Lord. They got family issues. And you're like, how you doing? Like, hard times, baby doll. It's hard times. Times. I'm going to tell you some hard times. And like, it just, just sounds like a promo. It's, you're just like, and you're going through it. But the beauty of being with the Lord is he took care of her. And how much more will he take care of us? How much more will we know the goodness of God that if I don't just have to walk through hard times, I can do the things that many don't, which is means I make it through. I make it through. So many people don't make it through. I have friends have not. They have not made it through. And it's so true that with God, some of the biggest testimonies in my own life is I'm here. I'm standing, I'm alive, I'm blessed, and I'm healthy. And that has been many things, I'll be honest. It's been totally been the Lord. When there have been solutions I could not find. And he took care of this Shunammite woman. She made place in her own heart. There's this last part, I really like this part kind of the other side of the coin of this message. See, we make a big deal about the physical places that we're in. But when we receive Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, we have now been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That I have been forgiven. You have been forgiven when you receive Jesus. You have been forgiven. I have been forgiven for everything we've ever done. And now, as 1 Corinthians 6 19 says, in a moment when Paul was actually rebuking and correcting the church because they were forgetting who they were, he said, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. Meaning in the Old Testament, they used to make a temple and a place and they have to get rid of sin and do all the sacraments and rules and laws to make it holy so that the Holy Spirit would dwell there. But now Jesus has forgiven me. So now my have been made holy. So the Holy Spirit dwells with me, meaning I don't have to make a room and wait for the prophet to come by. The Holy Spirit dwells with me every day. When I wake up, when I go to bed, when I walk out of here, when I come to church, God God is with me. I don't have to wait and make a physical room because 
because here's one of the most beautiful things about becoming a Christian. You are the room now. You are the room. You don't have to wait, but how many people wait? I mean, I'll be honest, I've been in the, ho- I've been in the hospital room after an emergency C-section and all kinds of diagnosis and things in the NICU. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can't wait till Sunday. I can't wait to get in the building. I've been times when I was 16 and I had ulcers just riddling my stomach. I have no idea and I'm internally bleeding. I can't wait till Sunday to get in church. I need a God that's present. And the beautiful thing is, he is. He is there. And I mean, I could turn around right now and just because I don't feel you doesn't mean you're not here. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Just because I don't have the tingles and my tambourines at home doesn't mean that, <laughs> doesn't mean that he's not there. That he's not there. He's there. And he's real. How many people sit at home and they're like, finally, when the, when the pastor comes, when the pastor comes, and look, I'm not negating the gifts of the, that God's put in the church. They're there for a reason. It's good. But you don't just, he doesn't just come out of nowhere. Finally, when I praise, he'll come down from heaven. No, the Holy Spirit's with you, with you now. Also known as the comforter, also known as the teacher, also known as the spirit of Jesus. So that when Jesus said in the end of Matthew 28, I will be with you to the end of the age, he meant it. And still means it. And it's true. There's a story in the 1800s, possibly one of the most famous um, preachers of the entire century, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was in London. He used to speak to 10,000 people regularly without a mic. I don't know how, but he did. And it's recorded. So he was visiting an older woman. He used to be a servant for a wealthy landowner at that time, extremely wealthy. And he was visiting this older woman. She's living in this dilapidated, really broken down house. And she's living in this room in this house. And he's sitting there and there is something uh, that she put on her wall. So when her owner had passed away and she'd gotten too old, they gave her a gift. And so she had framed it and put it on her wall. Well, this woman was illiterate. And she didn't know how to read. And she's living in this shack of a house. Spurgeon looks over at this gift, looks on the wall, looks at her. And it's like, do you know what this is? Well, she can't read. And so here's why that's so important. Because she didn't know that that was a deed to a large chunk of property. And it had been hanging on her wall as a decoration. And there are too many people that are waiting for God just to kind of pass on by. Maybe he'll meet me in this place and maybe if I get in the right seat and maybe if I'm finally in the right spot, God will be near. But you, those who have accepted Jesus, he's here now with you. And loves you. But if you don't know he's with you, you almost hang him like a decoration and wonder. I, I, I mean, it may be sometime. And you can, <laughs> you can live in rags spiritually. You can live in rags and not know that you're, not, you're a child of God. 
that you are daughters, daughters and sons of a king, that there is royalty to you, that Jesus, our high priest, our high king, calls you his friend, that he did not just leave you and God's just up and away and maybe comes down and up and away and he maybe comes down at the right time, but the Holy Spirit came alive within you when, he accepted, when you accepted Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And now the living God who created this universe, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive within you at all times and at all places. And I know for some of you that might freak you out, but it's a good thing that he's with you at all times because it means you can know the love of God and you don't have to make a physical room to encounter him and you don't have to be in a special place to know the goodness. It's good to be with community. It's good to be with other Christians. It's good to get support and edification and encouragement in your own faith. But know when you get in your car, the Holy Spirit's with you. And when you go home and it's broken, the Holy Spirit's with you. And if you're another hospital visit, the Holy Spirit's with you. And you're at school and it's not your place, the Holy Spirit's with you. And you have to leave away from home and go somewhere else you don't know in a strange place. The Holy Spirit is with you. You don't have to make rooms. You are the room. You are the room. But you got to know. You got to know that or you'll just, you're kind of hanging on a wall and wonder maybe. You don't have to. Let's pray. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, we're going to pray together. Now, maybe some of you have heard this and, and you've never even come to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You've never known that for yourself, that there is, a, there is a God that loves you so much he sent his son to die for you, all your sins, everything in your life. Not only for you to get into heaven, but to come into a relationship with him. Be a child of God and get on the purpose that he's called you to, the beauty of all those things. And maybe you've never known that and maybe you've known it, but you've run from it. You've hated it. There's all issues of why, but you know in your own heart, despite the people or whatever circumstances you've been in, you know it's time to come back. I want you to raise your hand at this time. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to make fun of you. We're not going, there's nothing public. This is private. This is a private time where we pray. We won't even call you to the front or any names. If you can raise your hand, we're going to pray. And even if it's just one person, this entire auditorium will pray right now. Great. And so we're going to pray together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. My sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because I've said yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.